0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's twice-weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. A warm welcome to This Sunday's Game, your twice-weekly sneaky peeky into Gaelic Games in Europe. We've another two superb guests today with GGE Chairperson Tony Bass joining us with an update on Season 2020. He also has news from Crow Park and the knock-on effects across the world of GAA, with revenue set to be devastated in Ireland. We'll get an insight into RT Sport with Claire native Marie Crowe. She of course hosts the daily sports show on 2FM, Game On. And she also had the Ultimate Dream Home DIY project completed just as lockdown hit Ireland. But first, a bit of news. As Mark Twain once quipped, reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. So it turned out to be the case with North Korean leader Kim Jong un. Lacking enough death and misery to talk about, media delighted in reporting the GAA fans' demise. However, once a rumor began that he'd relocated to Cork and was tipped for a spot on the Cork County board to solve the Park Equip funding crisis, Kim resurfaced. A keen student of former Cork County Board Secretary Frank Murphy, he later that day appeared in Pyongyang, opening the newly refurbished Gaelic Park. In an interview with Red FM's Neil Prendeville, the beloved leader commented, sure, after seeing the mess in Cork, I figured it'd be easier to fix the North Korean economy. Now, as CEO of the English Football Players Association, Gordon Taylor touts the idea of moving to GAA-style 80-minute games, He also wants to increase substitutes allowed and also has put forward the idea of going 15 aside in the Premier League. At the same time, Connacht GAA president Jerry McGovern opined that we should just write off the 2020 season in its entirety. As he said to RTE, by returning to play in the coming months, I just feel that we are putting people into certain situations, be it players at junior or senior club level, people who love to play our games. In my opinion, they will all be at risk, but so too will be their parents, grandparents, their young families. The possibility of getting this virus is simply too serious, all for the sake of football or hurling. We will not die for a game of football, but we will cause death by playing it. We're going to start off the show today, going straight away to Maastricht and to Mr Tony Bass. Okay, I'm delighted to be able to welcome back onto this Sunday's game the chairperson of G- Games Europe, Mr. Tony Bass, all the way from Maastricht. Tony, how are you doing?
1: Not so bad, Alan. Good to be with you again.
0: I know, Listen, you're looking very well and you have the tracksuit top on the right way around, so you, you, you look like you're motivated.
1: Yeah, um, well, uh, I'm about to do two uh, online meetings after this interview. So, uh, yeah, it's funny, you know, in, in the background, thing, you know, things still have to be done. We still have an organisation to to keep in place and to run and to coordinate. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background, uh, including some, you know, administration stuff which we we mightn't have got to if we're in the middle of a playing season. But we're in the middle now of uh, setting up a whole uh, subcommittee structure and getting our regional committees established and up and running and and more in place and that, that's been a project which has been ongoing since the launch of our development plan over a year ago um, so you know we're, we're sort of trying to use the opportunity um, amongst the challenges we face
0: now when you're talking about background and getting stuff done i thought you meant painting the walls
1: <laughs> no that's that that's my daily bit of therapy uh, I, I spend an hour or two most days doing a bit of decorating on the basis that there's no rush
0: if it's going to be done well you need to take your time um, they're using this time now to put structures in place that wouldn't have been done if we're all flat out running around day in, day out. How do you think Gaelic Games Europe is going to, it's a terrible thing to say, but to benefit from this lockdown?
1: What, what we're seeing now and, and what we're also identifying is people who are interested in being active, again, put it that way. So um, I'm just noticing, like following social media streams, of various clubs, that People that you know wouldn't always be to the forefront in clubs are popping up and organising things, and I think that's one of the challenges is for us to identify and harness those what I would call activists in the future, uh, because that gives us a whole sort of expanded base of volunteers on which to build things in the future. I like primarily we're a games-based organisation. We don't have any games at the moment, but that does allow us to look at all the things that go into supporting uh, the running of our games. Uh, because that takes a whole back, background, structures and committees and people working and planning for the future. Um, so that's why I think it is a challenge to look at. It's one of the things that we'll be discussing at our management committee now. After we
0: after I finish this interview, Tony, in, in saying that now, for example, with the which I'm involved in with the PRO committee, the subcommittee for Europe, I've been speaking with the PROs, for example, from the Nordics um, or from Central East Europe. And when we've been discussing, and you, you've heard the interviews, the problems and challenges, and also the solutions that we're discussing, how do you think that that is going to move the organization on with the subcommittees? Just tell us, what, why do you believe subcommittees are going to help?
1: Maybe if I, if I step back a little bit, when I first got involved here, um, what are we looking at nearly 16 years ago? We had memory searching right, about 11, maybe 12 teams. Probably club would be putting, you know, probably too much gloss on it. <laughs> uh, but we we, we have mostly had teams, um, and they played ten tournaments a year, and the best seven results counted, and it was seven aside. We've come a long way since then. Now nearly a hundred clubs operating through five regions. We've nine, nine, eleven aside uh, formats. We even have fifteen aside formats. So we have come a long way, uh, but our structures didn't necessarily develop in line with the with the progress on the field, if you like. In 2006, we we took a fairly dramatic move to, to what we call regionalized then, and we created certain regions, and with a little bit of change along the way, those regions are essentially there in place. I, I think if you have a long-term vision, my long-term vision, I make no secret of it, is that uh, Gaelic Games Europe will become more like a provincial council in GA terms, and each country would effectively become its own county. That's just putting it in GA terms. And I, I think we're well on the road to that. Um, it may, you know, it's obviously going to take some more time to do that. Uh, but there, there are other things happening in terms of the administration structures for World GA, which unfortunately are held up a little bit because of what's happening. There's to be a special congress in September, which would have adopted, or sorry, adopted um, new rules relating to how World GA is run and allowing a lot more flexibility for international units to do the sort of thing that I'm already talking about. Yeah. So they were providing for. Uh, councils at international level, rather than just committees. Committee in GA terms represents a sort of a county structure, whereas a council is one that co- collects a combination of, of counties. We would know them in the GA in Irish terms as provincial councils. Right. But the proposal now is that World GA will be able to look at, say, creating a European council or an American council, an Asian council. And then the, there would be a substructure within those which would be more reflective at the games level. You know, it's not just about structures because from structures also league competitions, you know, European Championship type style competition. And we were already thinking about that with proposals for a Super League. We'll have to see how they go uh, next year or whether we have to defer the year. But, you know, things like that will come. They will come. And we will make mistakes and we will try different options. And I think that's one of the things I've loved about European GA since I got involved here after many years been involved in Dublin and Leinster is the readiness and the openness to change. We don't have too many, how would I put it, structures that are so rooted in tradition that we can't change them, like provincial championships. You know, may or may not be a good thing, but, uh, you know, it's almost like a a Chabaldi-Camp challenge uh, in in, in Ireland. Um, Whereas I think in Europe, you know, we're much more open and adaptable. But definitely going forward, putting in place things like the regional structures, will be very important because they will eventually become the administrative structures of the future. And then the, the, the subcommittees that we're creating within Europe, so you'll have, your, like as you mentioned, your PR subcommittee, Ocean Games subcommittee, Health and Welfare subcommittee, Referee subcommittee, whatever it might be, one or two sort of central officers, obviously the relevant officer for Gaelic Games, Europe court, you know, acting as secretary and coordinating them, one rep from each of the five regions, uh, will allow the regions to be directly involved in the day-to-day administration um, of our, our, our organisation and over time those committees will eventually become like committees or commissions that you would see in any international organisation. So really they're the, they're the building blocks for the future.
0: We, we all know first of all that money doesn't grow on trees and also that you need uh, an, an investment to, to make this happen and to, and to continue it on at least for the initial 2-3 years. Now, we see that the GAA are going to take a massive hit, probably in the region of 60 to 70 million uh, in revenue uh, this this year alone. How is that going to affect, first of all, world games and then the not going to affect here in Europe? Um,
1: I think we need to be very realistic. and It couldn't have come at a worse time uh, in terms of funding of international GAA uh, because last year for the first time, we had managed to have a significant increase in funding uh, from Crow Park. So if you take that, our, our annual capitation grant, if you like, for day-to-day stuff was about 26,000 euros, and it had been for quite some, quite a few years. Well, last year, through World GA and uh, Nine Erskins, the chair of committee there, and John Horn, the GA president, was very supportive, and Europe was able to get an extra 40,000 in funding for governance and administration um, projects, etc. That was
0: triple the budget, basically.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So de facto, because we 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 don't have a lot of sponsors. So you know that really most of our income comes either from the fees that players and clubs pay in, um, as well as then the majority of our income actually comes in in the form of a number of grants from Club Park. I cannot see that level of funding being maintained this year. um, In that you know there are core funding requirements on the GA, not least. The full-time staff who've already taken hits. The fact that gate receipts are going to be down so much. You know, we, ne- we live in the real world. We need to be cognizant that it, it would be difficult to maintain that level of funding. Equally, I would have to say, obviously, our expenditure has gone down this year. So it may not have such a dramatic impact, where my fear is that it becomes a new base for the future.
0: Yeah, they'll go back to a couple of years and we'll say, well, listen, you may do a 20. Go back to, again, picking a number every year.
1: Uh, I, I would be fearful that, you know, that it would take us, a, a, you know, some time to rebuild back to where what we'd managed to achieve as international units working together over the past few years. There's been a cohesion there that didn't exist in the past. And, uh, you know, there was creation by John Horn a few years back of this World GA structure. Uh, the board of John Horn to fund yeah. this structure allowed for us to start, to, you know, looking at planning uh, and looking at doing things in a different way. When you have
0: money, you have options. Before we go away, have, uh, well, three quick things for you. When would you reckon we could expect to get back training and playing in Europe? And what region do you reckon will we'll start <laughs> first?
1: Well, I suppose what we're looking at there is twenty-two different answers, given that we're in twenty <laughs> different countries. So our, our, our CCC had a, had a meeting the other, the other evening, and effectively we, we've sort of agreed that, you know, there won't be any um, games taking place until at least the end of June. Um, However, we're beginning to see reopening plans now appearing in countries and tentative steps being made in some. And indeed, in, 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 you know, uh, in in places like Sweden, there hasn't been a total close down. So it was possible to do some training there. What we're looking at now is a combination of factors. One, what's happening in each country. Two, the public health advice and three the attitude of our players within that location, and I think they will all vary, which makes it a very complex one for us to handle. So we're you know after I finish this call, uh, the next call we have is with the the, the hosts of our uh, Pan Euros in October um, down in Galicia, and what you know what decisions we're going to make in relation to, to that particular um, competition, uh, whether it goes ahead or whether we defer it for a year, whatever it might be. we we have to look at all those things. Currently, our thinking is we won't make that call until around the end of July, okay. which will still allow clubs plenty of time to make bookings and to decide if they want to travel. Of course, the other big issue we have is the fear of, will clubs want to travel and will we be able to travel? We've laid out a sort of a skeleton approach, which would be that you know, within each country, within each club, probably the first thing that will come back is some sort of club training, maybe socially distanced initially before we can do close quarters sort of work and tackling things like that. Uh, eventually then, um, you know, there'll come a stage where clubs would be able to play each other because there wouldn't be, you know, any question of spectators or, or things like that. And that's fine where you have clubs who are reasonably convenient to each other. Probably the next stage after that, the, the logical one will be to organize some sort of competitions within countries that have more than one club. Right. After that, we will probably look at some sort of regional approach. For that will we would be able to look at any pan
0: European type company. For example, Aidan O'Shea and Henry Shefflin are talking about go back to club, forget inter county and big scale, go parish, go club and build from there, correct? Uh,
1: it's more or less the same philosophy, but just Europeanized.
0: Okay, <laughs> so we're, we're taking a one step ahead. Okay, it, uh, you know, as you said before we went on air, it'd be great if we could get going before Ireland, but public health and safety comes first and the health of our, uh, our players. And yeah, I, I,
1: one of my. The expressions I've used a lot during, during the current uh, uh, pandemic is a duty of care. We have a duty of care to our players, to our clubs, and to maintain the organisation. And I think that's what we've been trying to do in Gaelic Games Europe.
0: Yeah, so far so, so very good. Just the, the question about um, yourself, how are things in Maastricht at the moment? How is the lockdown going in Holland? Yeah,
1: well, I, I think last time I was talking to you, I was saying that it's not as strict as it is in some countries. So, you yeah. know, you can you pop down. In my case, I can pop down to the local DIY store and buy fresh supplies. <laughs> um, you know, you can go to the parks, you can go for a walk. Um, you know, Dutch people are fairly sensible. Um, you know, they, they, Mark Rutte, the, prime minister, the, the, the cycling prime minister, has described as an intelligent lockdown or a smart lockdown in that, They've tried to do things that made sense, Thankfully, you know Dutch people are pretty good at, at at observing the rules, so you know there hasn't been too much controversies, although you know like every country there's, there's always a few stories
0: it's you were talking about funding and so on and so forth, and there's been great work being done uh, within GGE uh, by some of our our colleagues on the on the county committee, and especially with the pan European quiz which is going to be taking place tomorrow night. What, what time is it throwing in at tomorrow, Tony?
1: Um, you have me there, on, I think it's at 8 or 8.30. I have another meeting, so I can't actually participate myself. But yeah, I mean, look, there's a number of people who've been doing great work there. JJ Keeney, um, our referees administrator, uh, is putting together the quiz. Uh, John Murphy, uh, our, our secretary of our competition control committee, uh, assistant secretary of the board. John is looking after the scorekeeping and all because he's above reproach.
0: <laughs> um,
1: um, um, and Jeremy O'Donovan our sponsorship officer has has uh, been able to source a few prizes which always makes it more interesting when there's something to be won
0: of course I mean the first quiz uh, last week of course he got Packer Munch the Irish company who send out I mean it's terrific the, the selection of real tastes of home whether it be skips or different kinds of sweets and so on so forth that you know, potato crisps i'm telling you they go down a treat. i mean this is like you like you know my fellow tim when he's home in ireland he would be sitting up in the living room and you say what i'll have a bag of crisps like you know so you get a pack of potato crisps and he'd be walking up and down to the kitchen to the living room with bags of crisps thinking how many has he eaten you know because they're addictive but you're you know but um again so they they were the, the they sponsored the first prize and then we had uh, for this Thursday, tomorrow, we have Martin Hurls. And uh, what are what are they bringing to the party, Tony?
1: Uh, I mean, uh, that's a lovely prize. Uh, coming from a hurling background myself, I particularly appreciate it. Uh, what they're offering is uh, two new hurls, uh, grip, and um, a number of schlitters, like a hurling slitter, and then a schlitter for practicing your skills against a wall. So it's called a ball ball. Oh. Um, and some other goodies. So I think that's a really nice prize for anyone to win. Uh, there's two, two, of, two of everything in the pack. So, um, yeah, you, you, you can bring a friend along and, and start practising your socially
0: distant hurling skills, if you will. It. Yeah, it's called the, the Hurling Isolation Pack. So it's a great help, uh, one to win. So, again, uh, you know, as, as you already mentioned, so JJ, I mean, if you look at the spread of the organisers, you've got JJ down in Madrid, you've got John up in Amsterdam, and you've got Deerwood now, who should be uh, down in Spain, but uh, he's isolated up in Carlo, I believe.
1: Yeah, I, I believe John is actually not in Amsterdam. He's oh. uh, at the farm in Cork at the moment. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, so, so John works for Oracle, so he's, uh, between technology and milking cows, I think he's been kept fairly busy.
0: We'll leave that there. <laughs> we know John. Listen, Tony, again, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for the update in the news. Fingers crossed uh, we'll, we'll be able to throw in either a footballer or a sitter fairly, very soon, and uh, take care of yourself as well.
1: You too, Alan. And thanks for the great work on the podcast. It's been a really uh, great initiative by you. I see we've already had thousands of hits across the four episodes uh, that, that have already been released. So well done, Alan.
0: Well, thank you very much for that. I, I appreciate the praise. And again, it's from yourself, our management committee, and of course members of the county committee and regular people around GGE have been pushing forward. So uh, we'll we'll keep it going. We'll keep it. We'll keep it going. Tony, take care, and talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Alan. Okay, that was Tony Vass, the chairperson of Get It Games Europe, and then we're we'll going straight away to Dublin to Templeogue, and we're going to have a chat with RT Sports Marie Crow.
2: Thanks very much for having me. Lovely way to spend a Sunday.
0: It's still a pretty heavy lockdown in Ireland for for you guys.
2: Yeah, it's the weekend that the championship was supposed to be starting, so we'd have had like London and New York games. So instead, we're sitting around, wondering, waiting, kind of watching to see what's going to happen over the next few weeks. It is, the lockdown has been extended now until the 18th of May, so that's kind of putting everything on hold, and like, it's quite difficult not to call for clarity, even though we know when it comes to GA, I mean, even though we know that uh, that's just hard not having something to look for, I think, because like you know, and any GAA fan knows, like this is the time of the year that you absolutely love. The sun is shining. You'd be getting in your car, heading off to a game, sandwiches packed. Or was it just epitomises everything that is special about the GAA when you're when when it's championship time and like we should be starting it right now. So it is it is hard, and I think today especially because it's a Sunday and I actually have nothing to do, like not one thing, which is so strange.
0: How difficult is it, people working in sports media in Ireland?
2: Yeah, it's it is difficult. Um, I think when this kind of came in first in the middle of March, it was a case of kind of setting goals and saying, right, okay, we can just get through the next month. And then, you know, for me, May 5th was a big one. I thought, okay, we can get to May 5th and then we might have a bit of a clearer picture of to where we're going after that. And we kind of do though, to be fair, you know, we have that, um, we have the phases of when sport can come back and all go into plan and, you know, provided everything is safe, it will come back just trying to talk to people about different things, you know, and like with radio, you don't want to be repetitive. So every interview can't start with, what are you doing in the lockdown? You know, are you doing zoom training? So you really have to think outside the box and, and, and just try and find other angles to go at people with whether it's kind of looking at the sports science of things or just looking at people's personal stories and 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 trying to get like it does give you a bit of an opportunity to get under the hood of people a little bit like kind of find out what drives them because you know they are they don't have a goal themselves a bit like us you know we don't have a massive focus on anything so the interview can go anywhere but it means that their guard is a little bit down so you kind of get a little bit more out of them in terms of what drives them why they do what they do because elite sports people are such a different special breed of people that that they're fascinating and for most of the year they're kind of wrapped in a bubble and they're and they're locked up and they don't let their guard down because they don't want to show any weakness but when they're not aiming for something which is rare then you do get those maybe extra few minutes where you kind of get that little special insight that you've always wanted you know I've kind of tried to keep things as current as possible and um keep things as relevant as possible and I think with RT as well, there's a there's a public service element there as well. So it's important for us to keep hammering home those messages of staying at home and, you know, maintaining social distancing. So like even by trying to keep talk to people, voices that um, the public will listen to has been a, a important part of kind of the decision making in production as well. So whether that's, um, you know, even Pat Spillane talking about rural Ireland or Liam Griffin talking about... Um, businesses now as well like just trying to um keep keep the messages keep the important messages been been put out there as well and we've done a big focus as well on um on frontline heroes so every friday we'll do a frontline hero and we'll get current sports stars who are doctors nurses firefighters um with dan shannon who's a delivery man um stephen lucy the doctor just to, again keeping the the public informed of what's going on behind the scenes and how important it is that we listen to what the government have said and that is
0: something that again as it's something very unique to ireland where a lot of our uh, sports stars especially from gaa and even for rugby as well they are quite local so you see international uh, women's rugby players they're nurses or they're doctors and you think okay they're they're playing the world cup against new zealand And next second, then they're treating uh, you know your granny who's in hospital with coronavirus. So I mean, there is that that kind of that connection. There is that connection. Um, How difficult is it to just remain your journalistic hat on, and with that time, Marie, because that's it must be very very difficult.
2: Yeah, I think it's a bit of a, a balancing act. You know, it's important to ask, you know, the right questions, even from a, like a sports point of view as well. But at the same time, it's important to give these people a platform so that they can keep everybody safe because, you know, these are such unprecedented times. And when you have like Cork Meyer, who's a guard, community guard in Moira Advising people what to do, we know that there's a lot of younger people out there who are listening that are, are going to listen to him and and, and Stephen Lucy, same thing because we're kind of sitting at home or we're you know we're doing a bit, but unless you're you're maybe living with the frontline worker or or, uh, friendly with them, you don't really get the behind the scenes and how serious it is as well. So, like you know, I can ask all the journalistic questions that I want, but like, it won't matter if there is no sport coming back. So like there is a bit of responsibility there as well to, just to to give these people a platform because, um, you know, it's important, like with Grace Walsh on the Kilkenny Camogie player and and she's frontline nurse in St. Vincent's and, you know, just even here in her story, and um, like she had been stood down from work for a few days because she uh, had to be tested for COVID. So you know, she wanted people to to know that as well. And you know, I, I chatted to her about it beforehand, and you know, left it in her hands if she wanted to talk about it. Now she ended up, I um, actually don't know actually what she ended up with the test afterwards, but she she wanted to talk about it. You know, so that like it's important as well, like not to put the pressure on these people unless. Um, unless they want to talk about what they're going through as well. Well,
0: for your recent interviewees, uh, guests on the show, um, who has impressed you the most? Which which one that, when we look for the podcast... Which
2: because I suppose I, I, I speak to J people all the time, it's when I kind of go out of that bubble that I'm usually... Uh, I'm usually really surprised by um, the personalities. Now, like we're lucky that we have Ruby Walsh on the show and he's got a huge amount of contacts. For inter- purely entertainment, I suppose, rather than um, impressive, I- I'm going to go with um, Peter Crouch. He was just so funny, you know, like having him on. Um, and, and when, like, Gary Lineker was on as well. And when people like them are in the company of Ruby... That makes a big difference because they feel so comfortable. To kind of get them off guard was, was quite nice. It was like, you know, they were kind of chatting with their friends. And nice to be in that conversation. And I suppose just from a personal point of view, we had Patrick Mullins on. And he is a jockey, but he also writes. So he's like the most, one of the most talented feature writers writers that I've read in a long time. He's got this other kind of a hidden special talent as well, which was, which was quite nice to see. So um, just other sports as well getting to talk to them um other sports starts from different fields that i might not have spent so much time uh dealing with over the last few years has been has been great but like you know you mentioned the frontline heroes and uh, like there's no getting away from them when you're talking about who are impressive because like what they do is phenomenal and uh, you know a lot of them as you said are, are amateurs and um but like to be able to juggle uh, jobs with huge responsibilities uh, during this time and also to keep their training taken over, like it's phenomenal that they have all these brilliant life skills and they're like, you know, and they just have such brilliant personalities and characters and, and the discipline as well. And like, they're never phased. Like, you know, I know why they're able to do what they do on, on the field and the big, on the big days, because they're in these situations where they are literally saving lives and they can do that and, and, and do it with such ease as well. And from a professional point of view, it's, like it's brilliant so I just can't get away from the from the frontline heroes when it comes to being impressed
0: of course on Friday uh, the T Taoiseach said that he's looking uh, at July 20th that teams can go back into training with distance and so on it's very very kind of confusing coming from a GA household and background what, what's what's kind of the the opinion of playing behind closed doors
2: it's a really hard one, and it's one that I struggle with all the time, and I and I flip flop and seesaw on it. Um, look, I love the GA, and I love having something to look forward to. I like the routine it brings to my life. It's you know I almost kind of set my clock by it, and what I'm doing at any time of the year. So I want it back. I you know I love it. It's it's you know it's part of my my fabric and my DNA, but. The reality is I don't think anybody should be put at risk. Um, These are not professional people. They are not in a situation where they can go and stay in a hotel for weeks on end. They have to live their lives. I was talking to an intercounty player recently, and he lives with his ninety-one-year-old granddad. And mm-hmm. there is no way in hell he's going to risk his life going off to a group training or to a match and coming home to his granddad. And why should he? And like that has to come first. And like we have to be cognizant of that when we're putting pressures on people and and saying, you know, we wish sport was back, and we, you know, we wish we had the GA because it's just not fair to put people in that situation. I wouldn't want to be put in that situation myself um, if the government can we're in a situation where you know the the number of cases are really low um, the number of tests are high the government and the health officials say that we're in a safe place then fair enough but um, it is a big ask I think for amateur players to be put in that situation and you know the GPA have came out and said they won't be crossing that white line until things are safe for everybody and I, and I think that's fair because you know, the GA is our community, and without our community, we aren't anything really. So, um, you know, we have to protect that. Maybe you know, club coming back might be a little bit more feasible because at least we can maintain social distancing or not. Uh, you know, keep things yeah. in a small radius a little bit more, and like having even whether it's like parish games or you know, if there's if there's no if there's no COVID in a in a small village, like maybe then that would be a way to connect people and get them out watching a game, but. Like with the intercounty scene, the way it is, and backroom teams, which you know you need your your people there, and yeah. dads traveling to different villages and different counties to work, and kind of going back into training. It's I, I don't know how they would keep everything contained. Uh.
0: The German government don't want to restart it because, as we know, in Cologne, one of their players came out and criticised the club because three of their players got uh, three of the people within the club got sick. The club turned around and said, "We're still going to train no matter what." And the players are now starting to criticise it So, you know, it's a very And they're, and they're all staying in a hotel they're staying in, a, in um, Of course, Aidan O'Shea from Mayo And Henry Sheffield from Kilkenny They both came out and said that The club should be prioritised over inter-county um, And that's kind of like what you are feeding into as well um, How important is the club scene in Ireland In rural Ireland How important is the club and the community Or are they one and the same?
2: Yeah, I think they're one and the same. And, you know, I like, I've, I've regularly said that, you know, like I'm from a small parish in Clare. So um, the GAA, it, it's absolutely everything. You know, like once Mass finishes at 11 o'clock on Sunday, everyone is planning what matches they're going to be going to and up to the pitch. And when you're from somewhere that small, it becomes it becomes your social life as well. It becomes where you meet people, where you make your friends, where you meet your future partners or husbands or, or wives. And, like we, I think we especially hear it when hear and are, are recognise it when the club championship finals come up on because you hear about the stories and how um, the GA has is the backbone of these communities and when things get really tough that that's when you really see the strength of the GAA because they'll rally around people and they're there for them and, and people are never on their own, I think, when you have a GA club and, and a team. And, you know, I love that picture of when you light up Ireland and you see all the clubs everywhere and it kind of gives you a bit of comfort knowing that people aren't on their own because, you know, you have these kind of ready, you, they're like already um, ready built kind of structures and, um, and just kind of lifelines, I think, that are, are there already. And kind of even this time, you see the amount of uh, GA clubs who are rallying around their communities and, you know, doing the grocery deliveries and helping out, um, just I just can't imagine life without a J club you know and like I know Dublin's a little bit different but I for me it's the same you know like I'm in St Jude's in Temple Oak and we were like doing little bits around the house and the amount of people that were there to help out you know like it's it's exactly like it is at home and, and like we are very involved in the club here and my kids and my husband so we do have huge strong connections now built up and that was something that was really important to me when we did come to Dublin and bought our house you know like the the geography was was secondary it was more of like okay where is near to the j club so that we can recreate <laughs> what we both have at home yeah. <laughs> that was the most that was the most important thing to us when we were looking for where we were going to live and we really liked dude so um like for me it gives exactly what we have at home which is um that sense of community and um knowing that you're going to have someone there when when things get tough
0: again this is something that we we see in europe where we have you know almost 100 clubs in 26 countries and it's the connection that you come into a city and you immediately go to see where's the GAA club and yeah you know, and it surprised a lot of people in like last week we spoke with in Bratislava and in a small town called uh, Sitges near Barcelona and it is a, a connection point and we can help each other out mm-hmm. and not even, forget even work just to have to, uh, where you know you're going to a training have a chat with somebody you know that if you need a sh- an arm around the shoulder or a kick up the backside it's there for you and it's it's something i think we maybe we don't value enough and now i think we're value begin to value it now in ireland um, before we, we wrap up i just want to ask so your your whole <laughs> with the, the family with the kids what coping measures have you been using that you could pass along to <laughs> our folks that we could maybe this is something different for us that we could use?
2: Okay, so we were, we were actually kind of lucky because before this lockdown set in, my husband decided that he was going to build an AstroTurf. So <laughs> in the weeks leading up to the lockdown, he, he wheelbarrowed, I don't know is that the right word, but um, 40 tonnes of hardcore and sand into the back garden. So just before it had hit, we were able to put the AstroTurf down. And since then, then we've been lucky here in Ireland. The weather has been actually okay. Yeah. Um, I have three little boys, uh, three, five, and seven, and they have been outside all the time. So it's just like... Football, morning, noon, and night—they're actually like professional athletes. So they get up in the morning, they have a bit of food, they'll do like the Joe Wicks on the TV. They'll go out and do a bit of a skill session, and then they'll come back in, they have a bit of lunch, and uh, they'll, they'll go back out and do a kicking session. So um, yeah, I think just being getting them outside if you can—I know it's not easy for everyone—get um, them outside and uh, throw the throw the balls out there, and if you can make it a little bit competitive, I mean, it works with my one anyway. Whether it's like even if things like dodgeball, you know, like kind of going back to base. Basic games that we were playing as uh, as kids, like they love all that, um, and just obstacle courses with chairs, uh, keeping them active. I think for me is 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 important. Now I find the homework difficult. I end up nearly doing it. It's exactly like when I when they were in school. I'm coming home from work and doing the homework. So. But they're young, so I think if they can colour a few pictures and write their names on it, then I'm pretty happy with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good. And how about for you, Copeland? So the kids, that that's that's brilliant. That just sounds like heaven. And for you, how how like as an adult, how how to to get through, it, how to manage.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lucky as well. Like I, I go into work every day. So I go in, the show's at um, six to seven. So I'll go in at about five. Um, so I have that focus every day, which is brilliant. So from when I get up and get them out and all the rest and fed, then I can focus on what's coming up every day. Um, I'm so lucky that my husband is a teacher. So he's here and he kind of gets his good work done in the morning. And then we kind of switch over like after, you know, he'll take them then in the afternoon. So that's been working out really well. Um, but yeah, like the, I, the thing that I'm finding most difficult is not seeing my parents and my family. I've loads of six siblings and they all have yeah. kids. So um, it's hard not seeing them and knowing that it's going to be a good while before we see them. Um, same with Billy's mom, his sister as well. Like not seeing them is quite difficult. But yeah, we're just trying to, I like, kind of just see it as a time where we get to connect as a family and um, practice my own football skills out in back riding as well, and just trying to just trying to keep active and and knowing that we're never going to get this time again, and at some stage life will go back to normal. And you know, I know that my husband and I will will look back at, at these few months and think. God, like we you know, we had that great time with our, our children and we press pause in our lives a little bit. Um, you know, we before that we were so busy all the time, just rushing around. Um, you know, it's it's a good time now and you know, we will get back to driving down to Claire and Kerry very very soon and, and you know, next summer we'll hopefully be back at uh GA matches again and you know, be giving out about how busy we are. But for now it's you know, just let's spend as much time together as possible and um watch the boys grow up.
0: Perfect. Just cherish those moments because they go very by day, very <laughs> quickly, very quickly. of RT Sport, thank you so, so much for your time. And um, let, fingers crossed, uh, we're, we're going to hear you on the radio anyway. Uh, it's, it's daily. It's daily from uh, six to seven Irish time. That is seven o'clock in Europe and eight o'clock in Europe, of the two times. So thank you very much. Have a great Sunday.
2: Thank you. You too.
0: As is the final whistle blows on this Sunday's game, we thank Tony Bass and Marie Crow for their time, for all of you for listening, and of course we'll be back on Sunday with some more news, views and interviews from around the world of Gaelic games. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other.